Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boink Radio Podcast, your one-stop shop for Boink Science News of the past week. I'm your host, Jay Ringo, joined as always by the definitely Australian cruncher, Delta. Say hello. Good night, mate. <laughs> Today we are taking a viewer request and we are going to be talking about Boink hardware. We will be answering the question, will this thing destroy my hardware? What kind of hardware should I crunch? What's the difference between a GPU and a CPU? Why are we using distributed computing in the first place? Hey, what, what other hardware do other crunchers have? What's going on, eh? But first, we're going to talk about some news, of course. There's not much, so do stick around through this. We'll be getting right into the main topic fairly shortly. But first, Delta, you know what you got to do. You got to answer the one question that everyone asks every week. I think my tea counts as news. What are you talking about? Okay, no, fair, fair. <laughs> it's news to your ears and it's news to the audience's ears. All right, today, <laughs> I've got some of my smooth green tea that I got for my birthday last year. Um, my friend gave it to me. It's a, um, I'm actually not sure what, it, what it's actually called because it is uh, written in Chinese, uh, but it tastes fantastic. And uh, this time, I've decided to put some lemon in it because, uh, my, uh, because it's come to winter. Usually, my nose and my mouth usually get dry in the Australian winter, so usually some lemon with honey and green tea is pretty good for that. So you do have honey in there and bee bits in your honey? No, this time I haven't got the bee bit honey because I can't find the same guy that sells it. <laughs> oh, I hope he's okay. Um, yeah, he's pretty good. They got all the farmers up in the northern uh, part of uh, the Sydney Basin. So maybe I might make a trip up to there and maybe try and see if I can find some more bee bit honey. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, and anyone in the chat here, if you're drinking something, feel free to let us know in the text chat and we'll bring it into the recording because this is a fun participatory podcast here on the Boink Network Discord server. It takes place every Friday at 5 p.m. EST. Uh, and everyone's welcome to join the discussion. If you got a mic, you can join the voice chat. If you don't have mic, you can join the text chat. It's, uh, it's a good time had by all. I'm That's drinking a... just uh, plain water with a pinch of ascorbigacid. That voice you hear is Tomash, longtime boinker and runs his own boink project. You'll be hearing more from him later in the episode. Acid? And now ascorbic acid is vitamin C, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's fruity water. <laughs> <laughs> What's this? We got a picture of Natural Calm, the anti-stress drink. Ooh, raspberry lemon flavored. Sounds delicious. Uh, We got a drink survey. Come on. Show us your drinks. (laughs) Show us your drinks. He says it's powdered uh, magnesium. Wonderful for the hydration. Stay hydrated, everyone. Drink your beverages. That's what we're here for. This is really just the boink drinking hour where you come and get hydrated. It's wonderful. Oh, you've got and some not white drunk. Wine. Well, <laughs> we've got someone with too, white too wine. Too bad we don't have any from from Boink Germany here. <laughs> I can't bring Why the beer. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, speaking of beer, we'll save that for the news. But we do have some white wine in here this week. I did decide to uh, treat myself. I got a nice little Manhattan cooking. So happy Friday, everyone. <laughs> Moving on, though, we'll get into the uh the main main show. Yeah, is it that time. Roll the intro. Okay, so that news, including the German beer that I was going to say, I'll say right now, it has to do with the Boink Workshop. And I just want to say again, it's canceled, guys. Don't go to Germany September 7th, expecting to have a fun and uh, just wild time with all the Boink community. Because unfortunately, uh, this here pandemic that's been happening has shut down most everything around the world in terms of conferences. And this this event is uh, not excluded from that. So... Uh, yeah, no Boink Workshop this year, although there has been some response to us being like, hey, let's do a, a virtual workshop. So there are some people interested in, help, interested in helping put this together. So we'll, we'll start, see where it goes. Maybe we'll have something. Um, if you do want to help put together a virtual workshop, I've already uh, committed to uh, getting a webcam and having myself flip pancakes throughout the entire thing. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's one thing to look I don't have a video for this. <laughs> Uh, otherwise, who knows what we can do? We can do some giveaways. We can uh, try and get updates from as many projects as we can. Have to maybe have one of them jump onto a Zoom conference call, and you know we can record it and put it up on the YouTube's. <laughs> Excellent video. I will watch that later. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, what is this, Kiska? You say 
what's what's going on with universe at home it's like a lot of uh, demand for tasks already from the pentathlon oh yes that's another point of the news the pentathlon uh the boink pentathlon put on by a group SETI germany uh is ongoing i think we're on day four right now and uh kiske he shares in the chat here the, uh, the effects the pentathlon has on a projects which is uh it brings it drives a lot of computation to whatever project is being worked on uh during one leg of the pentathlon uh yeah this is crazy what is that it, uh, it can tripling? sometimes it can sometimes push projects to their limit <laughs> so uh because rosetta's rosetta at home is in there I worry that they're probably going to run out of work, but I think it's been running for a while now. It seems to be pretty good. Yeah, this is a tripling, almost a quadrupling of tasks in progress since the pentathlon started for Universe at Home. Uh, he's just saying she, they think they've maxed out the uh, Gbit pipe. Gigabit pipe. Uh, yes, I do want to see the Rosetta at Home graph. Uh, Rosetta at Home, I think, is the marathon project. So people are crunching that throughout the pentathlon, the pentathlon being a, a competition that lasts two weeks. It runs uh, many different like events. You know, the, in a pentathlon, you bike, you run, you you ski. I don't know. I think there's one where you like you shoot things. <laughs> so translate you that. Javelin. What? You throw a javelin. Yeah, dude, you it's throw the javelins. You, you, um, I don't know, breed bunnies. Uh, Please no. <laughs> and it's the best response to that I could have hoped for. Well, there's the Rosetta graph, uh, and you can see it reached a peak of 1.5 million concurrently running tasks, and it seems to have a trend of continually increasing. So that's pretty spectacular. Wow, yeah. Rosetta being one of the main projects that's working on the COVID-19 uh, problem we're doing protein folding for these spikes uh cool yeah so this uh, this competition continues for the next two weeks uh registration is closed but you can follow along uh at the SETI germany website seti-germany.de slash boink underscore pentathlon uh and in first place it looks like right now is the scottish boink team in second place is planet 3d now their, their name ends with an exclamation point so uh and in third place is team a and tech which is, <laughs> you'll you'll know why i'm struggling with that once you read it fourth place uh study germany fifth czech national team sixth dutch power cows yeah. excellent name uh seventh is Le, Le alliance francophone eighth is linus tech tips nine hard ocp and ten is wrecking craft uh, so there's about 11th boink australia come on <laughs> Sorry. You're right. I should have gone through 11. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So these standings change daily, though, because there is actually strategy involved with this. Like, do you want your team to continue to crunch the uh, the marathon project, which is Rosetta at home? Or do you want to have your team switch their crunching power based on what project is like highlighted for that day or whatever? It's a pretty interesting uh, competition, all enabled by Boink's wonderful gamification tools. And the great thing is you don't actually need to run, swim, or jump. <laughs> Speak for yourself. That's how I power my computers. Speaking of, Boink rigs, eh? So we put out <laughs> so, this uh, call to action, I suppose, asking people what they what sort of rig they have for crunching. And we got, we'll highlight a couple of them here through the sh throughout the show, but we got a lot of responses. So we'll use this uh, for future episodes as well. But there was one response where someone says they have a whole rig powered by solar panels, and that is just awesome. It's the rig of the day. <laughs> Today's rig of the day. That's excellent. Uh, comes from Reddit user Cyanic, S-Y-O-N-Y-K. He says, a purely off-grid solar power office runs is folding at home and Boink hardware these days. Uh, his their, their folding at home rig is an old i7-3820 with two GTX 980s. Uh, the GPUs run folding at home. The CPUs run a Boink tasks. Uh, they used to have a newer desktop running Boink there for a while, but it's uh, it's been used elsewhere. Uh, they recently got uh, an older Xeon box donated to them. Decade-old hardware, but 12 cores, 24 threads, and no GPU. So they've got that one doing Boink project because Boink is very heavy on the CPU work and very sparse on GPU work. Uh, and Folding at Home does run a lot of GPU work. Delta will be talking a little bit about that in a second. Uh, and they're so dedicated to the solar setup that they don't run them if it's cloudy because uh, they use the power for something else. So it's uh, it seems like they have a pretty interesting um, uh, just like setup for their house where they use solar power to power everything. And then when they have that extra energy, instead of selling it to the grid, they use it to do uh, science with Boink. That's uh, pretty neat. 
Uh, and they do say they have pictures, so I'm going to reach out and ask for pictures because uh, congratulations, your rig of the day. <laughs> All right. Oh, but I got to hold down the button. <laughs> Hold on, I think I can do this. Are you clapping with the button? <laughs> I was using my elbow. <laughs> well, wow, how hygienic. That's wonderful. All right. So I think that's all the news. Let me do. Oh, no. One more news item. Uh, World Community Grid's open pandemics project that, that one they're, they're setting up for this and future pandemics uh, is throwing out beta projects or sorry, beta tasks uh, through the Boink system. So if you're signed up for World Community Grid, I think you can get these beta tasks without doing anything special, but I'm not entirely sure. I didn't look into it myself, but people do have pictures of themselves crunching uh, work units for open pandemics, which is really cool. So, uh, and to be clear, these are beta work units, so they might not necessarily be actually achieving something, but rather they'll be testing, um, the new open pandemics project. Awesome. All right. People in the chat here, tell, Tell Regev says that it's not automatic. You do need to check that you want to do the beta test. Okay. Thank you so for that. That's in your Boink settings on uh, the on the World Community Grid website. Oh, cool. Comp says they're also coming for Android in the future. Excellent, excellent. We talked a little bit about Android you last need week. New we'll Android talk projects. Little, yeah, we'll talk a little more about a little later. Uh, and uh, Anna also highlights that testing is very important. This is very true. The, we, we've talked before about how a lot of these uh, science, biology projects have been like, like Rosetta and Folding, they've been running for a very long time. Well, what have they been doing? A lot of it has been getting their software to work, getting the application to run smoothly and do what they want to do. And confer- the, the way they do that, I think, is they um, they basically run simulations of that they know the answer to, and they try to get the answer quickly. Uh, and well, now we have beta tests because uh, <laughs> we got to get these projects up and running quickly. Because there's at the end of the day, all of this is just software, and you got to test software to make sure it does what you want it to do. Uh, and since we're talking about testing stuff, I guess I will just throw out that Rosetta at Home does have their own test project. Uh, oh, who remembers what that thing is called? Ralph? I think it's Ralph. Yeah, Ralph at Home, where they test their own software. So if you are uh, passionate about helping getting the software run to run correctly, jump on the Open Pandemics beta in your Boink settings on their website, or jump onto Ralph at Home for Rosetta at Home software. Uh, any other thoughts on... Uh, the news that we brought up this week. All right, then moving on. And just here in the chat, someone who says that Ralph is actually stands for Rosetta Alpha. And that's really clever. Well done, Rosetta at home. Well done. Uh, but yeah, first, uh, before we get into the nitty gritty of the hardware stuff, we want to answer the main question that people have about hardware. We see it all the time. It's, it's everywhere. And it's a good question. Uh, will Boinking destroy my hardware? The short answer is no. Like, no, <laughs> but it's a little more <laughs> complex than that, right? If first of all, if you're a tinkerer, you already know a lot of what we're going to say. But if you're overclocking your hardware, if you're not taking care of it, and then you're asking it to run all the time at maximum power, that's not good for the hardware, no matter what you're doing. If you're doing games and you're overclocking and you don't clean your stuff, that's bad for it. So if you're doing boink and you're you're not cleaning your things or you're not taking you know paying attention to stuff, that's not good for it. But just like if you take good care of your hardware, of your computers, uh, they're in a, a spot that has good circulation. Um, low humidity. Low humidity. I mean, you don't even need to really yeah, worry about that. Yeah, you don't, don't need that. to worry about that. But yeah. like, at the end of the day, if you're a tinkerer, you're going to worry about that. But for the average user, all you need to worry about is good circulation. Don't have it like under a blanket um, if, it's a, if it's a desktop. And uh, don't clog up the... the parts where there's the fan you know if your fan is on the top of the desktop don't put books on top of the desktop if the fans in the back don't like push it right up against a wall have a little space there so air can circulate and that's just good like practice for a computer whether or not you're running boink but if you do that and you run boink full power you're not going to ruin anything because delta what do you always say what do i always say (laughs) (laughs) computer hardware is designed and tested to run at full power all the time Ah, yes. Yep. So um, when a computer chip comes out of a factory, uh, it has, what, four, six cores, sometimes now these days, 12 cores, right? Those cores are all meant to run at full speed. Your computer will manage to run them at full speed. um, And whatever they're designed to do, they will do because essentially that's what you paid for. Um, And uh, yeah, so basically any computer that you use for Boink, with the exception of phones, has no real danger of actually being damaged. The reason why I say phones is because there is a small danger with phones being their batteries. 
because when it comes to phone batteries, they're usually LiPo or uh, lithium-ion batteries, and they have a tendency to um, inflate and sometimes even explode, uh, as we saw with some of those Samsung phones, I think they were. Um, yeah, and I just mentioned that incident, and someone mentioned in the chat as well. Um, so in order to make sure that if you're crunching Boink on your Android phone, um, the key thing is to only run it while it's cold. So you're probably not going to want to run it during the summer. Um, but uh, even on the Android app of Boink, it will actually stop. If you have a if you have a new enough phone, it will actually stop Boink from running if your Android phone gets too hot. Um, and uh, yeah, usually what I say is if you want to run Boink on Android safely, just only run it while it's charging. Never run Boink on your Android phone while it's on a battery. Run it while it's charging and uh, only charge your phone from, I don't know, maybe like 10% all the way up to full. And then that's that's probably the best for Boink because what will happen is it'll charge up the battery and use some of that energy for the Boink. Uh, and it shouldn't get too hot. Even if it does, your phone will stop Boink from running. Awesome. And then the last piece of hardware here is a laptop. A laptop is very much like a desktop. Take good care of it. Be a good uh, owner of this thing that you paid a lot of money for. <laughs> Uh, so if you have it uh, on the stove and you're cooking, <laughs> don't put it on the stove in the first place. <laughs> but right, have have it uh, circulated well. Don't put it on like a cloth. There you go. Don't have it just like sitting on put it your on bed. a solid desk. Exactly. That's a that's what I'm looking for because I, I know how tempting it is just to like sit on your bed and put your laptop on your blanket and watch like Netflix. Even that is very dangerous for a laptop because the laptop circulates air usually through the bottom of it. Like it, it's elevated a tiny bit and it sucks in air through the bottom. Uh, so if you have a cloth under it or a blanket or something like that, anything that's not really a solid desk or like your lap, um, it will, uh, it clogs the fan and then it can't circulate as well and overheats. Uh, so, you know, keep it cool. Uh, we do have a big thing in the chat here. So let's read this. Yeah. They're mentioning laptops. Mike G mentions laptops. Um, with laptops, they are sort of like phones because they do still have the same sort of batteries. Um, now, interestingly, with my laptop, my one have a battery, so I keep it continuously charging and it will last. Um, the CPU and GPU and in the laptop will not be damaged at all if you keep Boink running. Um, it, and your computer, whether it be a laptop or a regular desktop computer, will usually what's called throttle itself, which means that if it gets too hot, it'll tone down the amount of computations it's doing to keep it cool, which does protect most of the hardware. But for laptops with batteries, I'd recommend only putting Boink on probably about half speed. So only doing half the half the work that you'd usually be doing other than full blast uh, in order to um, protect the battery if you're, if you're doing that. That's a great point. You brought up the, uh, the in the Boink manager, there's the settings you can tweak with. Um, I, do you tweak with something or do you just tweak the thing? I think you just tweak the settings, right? Yeah. There are a couple of settings. So you have uh, settings <laughs> for computational time. So um, if you set it to 50% computational time, what it'll do is it'll run all the cores at or all the hardware um, at full blast for, I don't know, maybe a minute and then it'll turn it off for a minute and then turn it back on for a minute and then off for a minute. Whereas uh, with uh, you can also set the amount of hardware to use. So one of the settings is how many cores you can use on your CPU. So if you set it to 50%, only half of your CPU will be used, uh, but it'll be running continuously unless you've set another setting. You can also set it to stop while the computer is in use. Um, and yeah, so th there is a lot of tweaking that you can do inside the Boink Manager that can actually help you manage uh, your hardware. Beautiful. Uh so the people in the chat here are talking about batteries. So the limiting factor here is the, the battery, it seems. Uh, with desktops, so we're going to break it down. Average user, desktop, if you have a desktop computer, run it however you want. You know, treat it however you treat a computer. Be nice. Uh, if you have a phone or a laptop that has a battery, uh, since laptops specifically, you want to keep heat under control and you don't really want to be charging continuously if you're on a laptop because, yes, it it's not great for the battery, but I think most batteries these days have software in it that keeps it from killing itself. But yeah, I'm not entirely I'll sure about that. That it might be may be true that there is a clever software preventing the battery from killing itself, but it's safer to remove the battery from a laptop that you are trying to crunch on. And you can of course yeah, the battery back in when you uh, take your laptop with you for like normal laptop work. 
That's fair. So if the safest way, and not a lot of people are going to do this, I know right off the bat, but the safest thing to do is charge your laptop. Once it's charged, remove the battery. First of all, there's a lot of laptops where you can't remove the battery. And then run Boink. And then when you want to leave to go laptop somewhere, put the battery back in, turn off Boink and go. But for the average user, what would you guys think you should do? Who They just have a laptop. They're not going to remove the battery. Uh, should they run it when it's not charging? Should they not use Boink on the laptop? Or, or what do you guys think? Uh, I'd say uh, same with phones as well. Uh, I always say if you're using a device with batteries, just have it so that Boink runs continuously while it's charging and charge it from flat to full and then you stop it. Boink is happy to have projects stop in the middle of their work. It's what's called checkpointing. So there is no damage done to Boink if you essentially just unplug your laptop while it's boinking and it'll stop. Uh, so yeah, if you charge it from flat to full, it's not going to damage your battery at all, really, on a laptop. So what you're saying is run boink while it's charging. Once it hits 100%, unplug it? That's good battery. No. Um, uh, don't, don't mess with the battery and not battery. Uh, either remove it or just keep it plugged in. Most people will not remove their battery. And as people are saying... So most people cannot remove their battery who have laptops. Well, then uh, you can accept the risk for, for the battery going bad, but the battery will go bad either way. Batteries suck. That's the moral of the story here. <laughs> <laughs> who the hell invented a LiPo? Man, I want to tell them to invent a better one. From my perspective here, I would just say run boink on your laptop. Don't worry about it. At the end of the day, you're probably going to get a new laptop before you kill your battery. So uh you're good and only very it's in very rare scenarios where you actually get like really hyper damage to your batteries it's like as you said if you're literally leaving your phone on top of a stove or if you're leaving your phone in a hot australian summer then yeah you're gonna get some battery issues but literally if you're just leaving it in open air clean environment no cotton or, or soft surfaces just hard cool surfaces you'll be completely fine yeah and uh I think your advice before, set the CPU to run at half. Set your Tone your settings down. That's fine. So it doesn't run all the time. Uh, okay, so that answers that-ish. <laughs> so <laughs> the next thing we want to answer here is what hardware can you boink on? And we sort of already alluded to it. We were talking about CPUs and GPUs and, and this person with their solar rig and how they have GPUs going in folding at home and CPUs going to boink. So those are you know, those are the two main things you can crunch with. Uh, but there's also um, ARM devices, so you can use uh, Raspberry Pi, but those are really just processors. Everything is a processor. Also ARM processors. Or what? Uh, usually Android phones are mostly ARM processors as well. Yep. So that the most of the times people will be crunching with uh, CPUs or GPUs. So I don't know uh, too much about how that affects the crunching that's going on. Delta, do you? Well, uh, with the CPU and GPU, they are two sort of different kettles of fish in terms of hardware. So with the CPU, it's more or less like um, fewer hands, but you can do a lot of different things. Whereas with the GPU, it's a lot of hands, but it can only do a couple certain things. And so the key difference is that is that you can actually, with the GPU, hone in very efficiently and very quickly to complete a particular set of tasks. So, for example, um, folding at home is uh, probably the best example of GPUs. Um, they hone in with multiple, um, as, as I said with the analogy, hands to do one very core thing, which is fold proteins. Right? And that's usually that's a very um, simple task to do, which is just basically a lot of maths. So molecular dynamics requires a lot of maths, and the GPU is great at doing a lot of maths in a very short amount of time. The CPU, however, is great at doing very general stuff. So um, maybe putting a window onto the screen or maybe um, calculating where your mouse has moved to or all sorts of stuff like that. And uh, usually they're good for projects that have a lot of different sort of components in them. So um, for example, um, what's a good one? I think uh, Milk, uh, not Milky Way, um, Asteroids, if I'm not mistaken, I think. Um, yeah, I think it's asteroids at home. Uh, they model the asteroids and then they have to do like sort of processing after you model the asteroids. And so having those multiple different tasks is sort of a good idea to put it on a CPU rather than a GPU. 
Um, but even then, what you can do is you can just split up the task into the different components. So you'll maybe have the CPUs doing one thing and then the GPUs doing another. It really depends on the application. But generally, if you want to get lots and lots of work done, GPUs are the way to go. Awesome. So I'm wondering, and I'm sure a lot of other people are as well, like why are there so many CPU tasks and not many GPU tasks in most Boink projects? Like why would they limit themselves only to uh, CPU tasks or only to GPU tasks? Why not do both? Uh, mainly, uh, oh, uh, I was going to say at logic, and this is this decision making. Say again. The CPUs are great at logic and decision making, as well as the math and calculation. But the logic really sets a CPU aside from a GPU. Okay, so the CPU has a lot of logic gates, and the GPU just runs. It can, it can decide. It is yeah. deciding. The GPU can do that, but that's slower. So it's better for a GPU to perform a list of mathematical operations over something, and then it's done. It doesn't have to decide. Okay, yeah. And people here in the chat are saying very few algorithms run efficiently on GPUs, and it's because writing GPU code is hard. Uh, oh, <laughs> That's the reason why we don't have many uh, GPU uh, projects other, ones, other than the ones that have already existed for a while, purely because it is pretty tough to find someone who can program on a GPU for purely computing as opposed to putting graphics or making a video game or something like that. Right. I think it's important to keep in mind that a GPU, what does the G stand for, right? It's a graphical processing unit, right? Yep. So these things were built for a very specific purpose, and uh, we've we've only just realized that we this is just massive computing power that we can do. Well, we to explain things. that a bit further, Thank um, you. what graphics do, what graphics are basically on your computer is just literally just numbers. It's what's called floating point numbers. So it's numbers with a decimal place afterwards. Uh, and so your GPU is very good at adding them together, multiplying them, transferring them around. Um, and yeah, just basically doing any sort of operations with them floating points. Uh, and this will also bring us uh, onto another topic which I had down, which was uh, what's called uh, single precision and double precision floating points. So uh, there is a key thing with Boink, and there are some projects uh, that require it, uh, what's called double precision floating point. So what that means is it basically uses double the data to essentially sort of get double the precision. And so with science, you obviously want precision, right? So with um, greater floating points, um, you have, uh, with a higher degree of floating point, you get a lot more precision. And there are certain GPUs that uh, do it. And most of the new GPUs now actually do double precision floating points, so it's fine. Uh, and uh, But if you do have a, like a very old GPU, like we're talking back in the 2000 and what 2009 2008 gpu which you really shouldn't have at this point <laughs> um they're they're you're gonna have find a little bit of driver issues maybe when running boink because they are pretty old uh and you might actually find some uh older floating point um stuff so uh, essentially if you have a single precision floating point on a double precision uh floating point project such as i think milky way at home if i read that correctly um you'll find that uh, it'll either not run at all or it'll take almost double the time to run. Thomas, were you going to say something? Okay, and maybe some uh, applications from PrimeGrid really benefit from double precision GPUs, and that's okay. Uh, even those projects can run on a GPU that is better at single precision. It just gets slower and not, not that much slower, you know. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, rec recent GPUs, consumer-grade GPUs, uh, got worse comparatively at double precision versus the single precision than uh, older GPUs like uh, uh, R9 to 8X, 0X. Noted. Uh, well, uh, also... usually if you're using a, um, a newer GPU, it's usually, it's, it's pretty much more than fine for Boink. Boink uh, loves most of the latest hardware. Uh, it's just mainly all the legacy sort of stuff and the old sort of GPUs that aren't really that good. So uh, Vitaly here says uh, something that, and I'm just going to pull out the three words I understand, and hopefully someone can explain it to me. Uh, he says that algorithms GPU efficiently. So the full sentence is very few algorithms can be successfully parallelized. <laughs> someone parallelized. Said, <laughs> parallelized to yeah. use GPU efficiently. So it has to do with the the code the algorithm and efficiency that seems pretty yep. important yep 
there's several cons- I'll, I'll speak on this and I'll let us chip in. As is Jim Owens runs a business out of New York, has been boinking since 1999 with SETI at home, and he also helps develop Boink and some uh, Boink adjacent projects. There's several uh, considerations that make uh, highly parallel calculations very difficult. Uh, someone just posted Amdell's law, which is you know basically the scalability limits of a multiprocessor. What 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 that a couple? Let's lay this out. The first problem you have in many algorithms is that is that an al- many algorithms by their very nature have to be sequential, meaning that the conditions for the next step depend upon the previous step. If an algorithm is sequential, it, 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 it essentially gets no benefit from being parallelized because if you put it on, if you create several threads to execute, they're all just gonna wait on each other, right? So that's one big issue. If you can get around that, you have the, uh, and you can, you know, divide up the problem into parallel units of execution, you have two other remaining issues. And the first is the uh, competition of resources on the machine that you're running, right? So let's say you had a thousand jobs that are all competing. Well, you might have a thousand execution units on that on that processor or GPU, but the IO is a maybe a bottleneck where you're trying to get information into and out of those processing units, but you can't get it into and out of fast stuff. And in fact, Amdell's law generally arises in multiprocessing units because of memory bandwidth constraints and I.O. bandwidth constraints. In particular, main memory and cache end up being a severe limit to the ability to parallelize tasks. Now, uh, hold on, hold on just a second here. So parallel, what is a parallelized parallel task? Remember, remember, remember GPUs are composed, the way a GPU actually operates is, is, it, is it basically has thousands and thousands of tiny little shader units that are all designed to operate. So, so typically, uh, Jay Ring, I don't know if you're familiar, but typical desktops have a core count of anywhere from four to um, probably the, the biggest, I mean, they, they do have some desktop CPUs with up to 16 cores now, but most people will see a core count from four to eight. And uh, many of those will run two threads. So you can run, you know, a, a, tip, a very nice high-end Intel CPU can run up to 16 threads simultaneously. Okay, a, a, uh, my, my uh, 1080 Ti, if I go and look at the CUDA count, it has 3,584 CUDA cores, okay? So that's a lot more than, than 16 cores. And the issue is, if you only can keep a few of those CUDA cores busy, the GPU is gonna f- perform very poorly. So you have to be able to chop the program up into thousands of parallel pieces to get it to run at a very, very high rate of speed. And a and parallel piece is uh, two pieces running at exactly the same time in, instead of one thing running on one thread at a time. That's exactly right. Now, some problems are partially parallelizable. And by the way, supercomputers run this run into this problem all the time. There are, you can have, like if you take like a, a good example would be a, a hydrodynamic modeling, right? Like airflow around an airplane. You can chop up the airspace around an airplane into a grid, a three-dimensional grid, which they call a voxel grid, right? It's, it's basically three-dimensional pixel. And you can, within each voxel, you can assign that to a separate um, core in a supercomputer. Here's the problem. The edges of one voxel have to match the, 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 you know, the left edge of a cube on this cube has to match the right edge of the next cube next to it because the the airflow has to be smooth across there. In other words, each of these edges have what's called boundary value conditions and they have to be matched from one cell to the other. And so the other problem you run into with with parallel algorithms is that boundary value conditions uh, generate bandwidth requirements to communicate across the, the threads and that also limits scalability. And if the algorithms are not very carefully designed, you'll quickly overwhelm the algorithm and, and basically kill all the benefits you get from the parallelization. So that's why it's it's so so much easier to run a CPU project because as the way SciSci in the chat here is saying, he says, GPUs, here's a big batch of data with the same structure, do the same thing with all of it. With a CPU, here's some data, figure out the way forward and do stuff as needed. So that's, that's right. Another way to phrase what you were saying, where it's like a CPU is do step one, then do step two, then do step three, then do step four. And and, and, and CPUs have been made, or they've, they've put a lot of energy into making them very clever, right? So they wring the most they, performance they can out of a lim- limited parallelizable tasks. So as long as, you know, your, your, your expectation of parallelization is pretty low, like, you know, 
the, the algorithm splits into like four or five different pieces or something like that. A, a general CPU does great at that. And especially, you know, in modern computers, you can run a lot of things at once, right? Most of us have a lot of things going on in the computer. But oh, yeah, not, I got like 60 tabs open right now. But but they're not all doing something at once. And so the computer might be like, I'll, I'll if I'm on my, I'm on my big Linux box right now, and if I go look at the top, uh, the load average right now is seven. So that means on average, it's executing seven tasks simultaneously, right? Does that make sense? Certainly yeah. a lot, certainly a lot lower than 3,500, right? <laughs> Right, so it's t totally different type of problem. Any, any, other, any other folks want to add to what I just said? Because I'm sure other folks might have some additional comments. Well, as people are, I think are, I was loving it. <laughs> yeah, as, as people are typing in the chat here. So when it seems then like a lot of computational tasks like that we use in distributed computing are um, are built to run one step after the other after the other. Not many of them are par. I'm never going to be able to say it. Parallelized. So like that's hey. right. That's right. That, that goes back to Mike's comment, Mike G's comment that you know most it's pretty it's not difficult to write an algorithm that'll run sequentially, right? I mean, you know, you just you just write Do a one plus two, take three, add one to it, get four, add one to it. And but you, you go in the eggs, chop, mix the sugar. <laughs> yeah, you go try and chop that algorithm up into and make it run fast, in, especially if it's massively parallel. It's a whole nother order entirely, and. Uh, all right, let me see if I fully understand this then with using proteins as an example. So with protein folding, with protein simulation, the re reason that these projects can run on GPUs is that really all you're doing is sending out, uh, a, as I said, a big batch of data. Each batch is different. Each task is different from one another, and they don't depend on the result of one another. So I send one simulation to you. I send another one to Delta. I send another one to uh, Mike G here, and then uh, you all send results back to me, and cool. That's that's that. That's why they can well, run on GPUs. Well, actually, is that that's that's so. There's two different levels. So so actually, it's quite interesting you bring that up because with Boink or any distributed computing environment like we're doing, where it's a a supercomputer has a lot of bandwidth between nodes, right? So if you have if you have a if you're going to run a supercomputer that has like five thousand processors in it, those processors are connected by nodes that run, don't, don't run at full memory speed, but they run at several gigabytes per second. So one node can talk at several gigabytes per second to another node. Our virtual computer that we run with Boink is like a computer with nodes that have like, you know, <laughs> tiny amounts of bandwidth, right? Which is effectively Boink distributing uh, work units to each of the individual computers. And by the way, the computers can't talk to each other, right? You've got this Boink uh, distributor that basically distribute work units. So the work, you're absolutely right. The work units have to be effectively independent. There, there can be no uh, dependency other than very, very static, uh, one unit work unit depending upon another work unit. So that's number one. But that's not really the GPU thing because the work unit itself, if you're going to run that work unit on the GPU, you still have to be able to chop that work unit itself into parallel tasks. So when I receive a GPU grid uh, work unit, G they've had to optimize that uh, algorithm so that it can be chopped up and to run on that 3,500 and whatever CUDA cores simultaneously. If they didn't do a good job with that, they it would only, you know, it would run just one thread. And, uh, you know, by the way, different types, for example, Rosetta uh, is, is the, the, what Rosetta is doing doesn't lend itself very well to GPU programming. That's, that's one of the reasons why you don't see a uh, Rosetta GPU program is that they, you know, it's 3 million lines of code that they did for that thing. And, you know, if you go on their forums, they'll talk about how difficult it is to try and rewrite all that to run on efficiently on a GPU. It's just mind boggling in its complexity. So, you know, some of those things just don't run very well in a GPU environment. Um, well, here's here's the question I guess I'm getting at. And I wanted, you brought up the difference between like a supercomputer and a distributed computer. And I think we should get back to that because that's very important. But the, the question I think Anna sums up really well. So she says, uh, Rosetta at home is a CPU. We'll probably use GPUs to train Rosetta. Uh, and then she says, GPU grid runs the GPU. So Rosetta at home, CPU. GPU grid, GPU. Folding at home, both CPU and GPU. How? So how can folding at home do both CPU and GPUs, but Rosetta is stuck at CPU? When I, because, the way because, I understand it, they're just same, doing the same work, essentially. No, they're not. They're it's not, not the okay. same thing. They both do proteins, but they do different stuff with them. They use different algorithms. They use different kind of simulation. That's exactly right. In fact, in fact, in fact if you, they're actually complementary. 
So folding at home uses a, um, it's actually, folding at home is effectively trying to create a movie of a protein, right? They, they Folding at home wants to analyze how a protein folds. Rosetta actually doesn't do that at all. Rosetta actually determines the end state of the fold. I'll let that sink in for a minute. And in particular, what Rosetta does is it, is it, is it determines the lowest energy state possible for a protein combination, a folding combination, with the idea that all molecules will fold to attain the lowest binding energy state possible. I know that's a mouthful. So effectively, you can think of as uh, folding at home is doing the journey and Rosetta at home is doing the destination. Does that make sense? And in fact, folding at home often uses Rosetta at home's results to help hone in on the parameters to start the movie because if you don't know what the target is, trying to set the parameters to start the movie going will result in a lot of wasted work. So they actually, the, the projects actually use each other's results sometimes. It's a wonderful right? metaphor. Well, I actually also explain that on my Rosetta project brief. So if you ever want to understand what low energy state and then the folding and everything actually all means, you can go and check that out on the yep. Boink Radio. That's so, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, Delta did a great job on, the, on, on that, explaining the differences. So they really are different. And I guess, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, if someone sat and spent, you know, 10,000 hours to try and redo Rosetta's uh, 3 million lines of code, could they get some of it to run on the GPU? I think they could. Uh, but, it, you know, you got to get someone to put the time and effort in on that, right? So I, I think that it's not, I don't think it's that nothing in Rosetta could run on a GPU efficiently. I don't think all of it could. And they don't have anybody that's, you know, willing to spend that amount of time to do it. Um, Whereas I think I think in folding at home, they you know number one, it's a different problem, which lends it, lends itself a little bit easier to this type of optimization with GPU. And then I think they've they've just spent more effort on the GPU side. Any other folks want to comment on that? I feel like I have a much better understanding of uh, why things, why some projects do CPU, why some projects do GPU, and it just comes down to the intricacies of what the the project is doing. So from the, the top level, if you are looking at Boink from the perspective of, I want to do biology, then it, you're going to have to find the project that uses your hardware, right? That uses the CPU and GPU, which is why the, the website boink.berkeley.edu slash projects is so wonderful because it lists right there uh, what hardware will run these projects, whether it's a CPU or a GPU. Yep. Yep. It's unfortunately, uh, it's unfortunately a little bit complicated, right? So it's, it's. Oh, dude, I've been diving down this hole for years and it's, I, you guys amaze me all the time. I have no idea what's going on. Very complicated. And uh, I, you know, unfortunately, one more thing on this, Jay Ringo, the, uh, what makes it even more complicated is that there's a lot of very, I think, uh, Tomas was bringing this up. There's a lot of variances across the, the graphics card brands. <laughs> so even within, and, and Delta was too, even within the concept of, okay, an algorithm is able to be put on a GPU and runs pretty well. It might run well on NVIDIA and it doesn't run well on AMD or vice versa because they use different optimizations and they have, you know, different strengths and, and weaknesses in regards to single and double precision FPU floating point. And then also they have different uh, architectures, which generate bottlenecks in different places, depending upon the way the algorithm's written. So you, you, you know, it's, it's a wild and woolly place, unfortunately. I, you know, I wish one of the things I wish we could do is make it simpler for people. And we probably could, you know, like what kind of hardware do you have? And, you know, by the way, if you have this type of hardware, we've talked about this before. If you have this type of hardware, this is the type of project you should write. But unfortunately, we're not there yet. So, hey, that's a perfect spot for someone listening to this who's like, I could build that. Come on in because Boink is this open source, wonderful, wonderful community and yep. build the thing. And uh, there you go. You got that thing on your resume. Uh, you helped out science. You did a great thing during lockdown when you got nothing else to do. Uh, or maybe you're really busy and you want to dedicate a little time to it anyway. Um, or even if you want to update some documentation. Like I see some people saying here in the chat, some of the lists of the projects and GPUs are a little bit out of date. And sometimes maybe they're not a little bit accurate. So if you want to come on and suggest changes, complete, we're completely open to that. And it would be helping out the community a lot. And helping new people who come in actually find out what they want to crunch and what they can crunch. Definitely, dude. So true. Okay, so the last thing we wanted to talk about today was, and we already sort of hit on it, is the difference between uh, what we're calling centralized supercomputers and distributed computing. And I'm just going to reiterate what I think I learned from Jim just now, is that uh, uh, First of all, there, there are two different types of computing that do two different tasks that are better at two different types of tasks. And a centralized uh, supercomputer 
because its CPUs are so close together and so well connected, can run these uh, like uh, climate simulations, for example, where it's it's step one, then step two, which depends on step one, then step three, which depends on step two, which depended on step one, that sort of stuff. It can run that really well. While a distributed computing network requires on being able to break up that work, send it out, and not necessarily rely on one another. Uh, and it might so be much. very slow to get past all that. Yep. What might be very slow to get past that? Oh, just because if you're taking, for example, a climate model, as you said, it has to depend on each step and blah, blah, blah. So if you have a new compu uh, a computer that's come to the network, which is now waiting on all the other ones to finish the previous work, it's going to be slow passing <laughs> right. all that information around. So that's a small disadvantage with distributed computing, but some of the Boink projects do get around it. Yeah, and at the same time, there are tasks that Boink works on that's like it runs faster on a Boink project because it's such it's so many processors working together. Then it it why use the uh, this highly specialized supercomputer to run these projects when we could run them on a distributed computer, get people interested in science, and get them involved in creating science, save money. Yeah, why waste this resource with this centralized supercomputer? Look, there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, you know. I think it's a bit of a misnomer to say there are very few things that can run that are massively parallelizable. I think there, um, remember, there's two different levels of parallelization we were talking about. One is the distributed computer piece, right? Which is, are you running a are you running a regular computer, a supercomputer, or are you running a distributed computer over a wide area network? That's level one. And then level two is, are you running a, a GPU or a CPU, right? So there's two different levels to it. I think that, you know, if you set the GPU piece aside for a minute and just talk about, I'm going to hand work units to a, nodes in a distributed computer, I think there are a lot of algorithms that lend themselves very well to that type of thing. Uh, you know, you're not going to you're not going to fare very well if you're trying to do fluid dynamics around an airplane using Boink. That's not going to go very well. You need really a supercomputer to do that. But there are lots of problems that where the boundary conditions are not really that strong and it's not dyna dynamic that can be chopped up uh, and, and, and it runs very well. And I think there are many algorithms can do that. So, I, you know, like I think distributed computers uh, have a very, very wide range of applicability across a number of different problems. Uh, Let me just add on that uh, the, the airplane. While it's true that, you, that uh, running a fluid simulation or aerodynamic simulation over an airplane on a Boeing is not going to work well, but running uh, fluid uh, uh, aerodynamic simulation over thousands of airplanes is going to work great on Boeing. Oh, yeah, that's actually right, because that's, that's a problem you can actually chop up. So yeah, sometimes and it uh, also looks like a Rosetta at home. Yeah, sometimes you can get around the problem by reframing it, right, in a clever way. Like, don't think about doing modeling on one airplane. Think about it doing modeling on thousand thousand airplanes all at the same time and chop the problem, problem up a different way. That's what Thomas is talking about. That's exactly right. It's a little bit harder to do that, and that's where the cleverness comes in, into play on the people writing the code, right? But uh, uh, Very, very interesting. Yep. Sort of relates to Rosetta as well, how um, they start off with, um, I don't know, maybe a different drug for each different simulation or maybe different starting yep. parameters for each different simulation and just spread that across, as we saw earlier in this episode, 1.5 million different computers. And hey, Presto, you can get through a 2 billion drug database in no time. That's right. I, so I'm overwhelmed. Rosetta uses a Monte Carlo simulation anyway, yeah. so they're you know it's all about they're basically playing a fancy game of chance until they come up with their the lowest energy molecule. Seriously, that's how it works. And so, yeah, well, uh, that's that's most of the biology stuff uh, yeah. relating to viruses because we have no universal treatment for them. So we're yeah. hoping that if we roll the dice enough times, we might find something. And that's uh, you know what. Just like uh, prime grid rolling the dice on prime numbers, that's uh, not really, but it's similar. That the rolling the dice is what distributed, massively distributed computers excel at, right? So it's pretty neat. Oh, hold on, wasn't there um, a project that was simulating the Shakespeare monkey on typewriter problem? <laughs> that's a perfect oh, man. one. <laughs> that is wonderful if that's a real thing. Although the, one, the project that I really missed, which was DACP, was you know constructing those uh, hardened circuits, right? Yeah, that was my favorite one. I know, I'm really missing. All right, um, well, yeah, Go Goofy X Grid was the monkey on typewriters one. If you any of you want to try and rewrite Shakespeare with your computer. <laughs> Is it still running? Because I will sign up for that thing. I think so. Oh, yeah. Oh. Mike, Mike G is right on that. It isn't random. He's right. I haven't looked at Prime Bread in a long time. 
All right, though, we are going to – we're nearing an hour here. I didn't think we were going to max out this episode. But, my God, what a great conversation. Thank you, guys. I think we had, like – I think I counted 16 people in the chat excluding Craig. Um, <laughs> How dare you <laughs> exclude Craig? <laughs> yeah, so that, I think – was is this our biggest audience yet, our biggest live audience? It is, and we had our first uh, rig of the week this week. yes i want that uh, i think that'd be great to do every single week absolutely so moving forward uh i mean we've got a a pool of people to pull from right now for who responded to our uh, reddit post and our our call for action here in discord but if you want to share your rig with us uh tag me on reddit uh or jump in the discord share a picture say what it is and we'll uh twitter oh nice or tweet us at at boink network and we will uh share your info here on the show uh it's really cool to see what everyone's out there crunching with uh there's some pretty interesting setups we got here on deck some running like a bunch of raspberry pies some just random desktops that they've had laying around or, or ipads or whatever uh so yeah definitely looking forward to that in the future otherwise uh yeah did we hit everything we wanted to hit delta yep yeah, um i think did we have something planned for next episode do you want to hint at that <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, we were talking about the tech a lot this week, uh, the hardware that we're all running and, the, and this wonderful infrastructure, Boink. Well, what about the other side of it? How do these projects operate? And can you even run a business using Boink? Can you make money off of this? Could you build a, a system where you stand by Boink and, and you know, make a business? Uh, so yep. we'll be talking about that next week. Looking forward to it. Should be pretty interesting. So stop on by the Boink Network Discord server at 5 p.m. EST, uh, and we'll have a chat. Oh, are you doing a, a project brief next week? I'll do my best to upload one. Uh, it's been tough uh, given that we're heading towards exams here at university. So I'll do mm-hmm. my best to get uh, the one coming up. I think, I think I had LHC at home up and running for this one. So I'll, I'll see if I can get that up. So... Meet me next week. Uh, hopefully, I'll have it. Awesome. And Mike G in chat says there already are businesses on Boink right now. There are. We'll talk about them. If you know of them, let us know. And uh, I, I think there's a couple I know of already, but there's probably tons out there that, that are unknown. Because don't, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. It's big open Save the next episode. source for missionless infrastructure on which anyone can, you know, within reason, do whatever the hell they want. So it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, we'll catch you next week, 5 p.m. EST here on the Boink Network Discord server. Thank you, everyone, for uh, coming by and having such a lively discussion here in the chat and on the recording. Mm-hmm.